As we come now uh, to our sermon text this morning, I invite you to stand as we turn to Romans chapter 5 and as we come to the word that God has prepared for us this day in coming to us from Paul's letter to Rome, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 1 through verse 5. Hear the word of our God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to these words on this day. To God, we pray through this same Holy Spirit that you would apply these things onto our hearts and give us this peace and this comfort. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This passage again comes at the end of Paul's establishing the reality of our being justified in the sight of God. And of course it takes a little bit to kind of unpack what it means here to say that we have been justified. What does it mean to be justified? When we use that word, how do we usually use it? And we usually, it usually means that we have been shown to be right. And when you're having a discussion with someone, an argument, let's say, and uh, you're saying point A is correct, and they're saying point B, and you decide to do what most of us do, and head to your Google machine and, and type it in the search bar, and it comes up, usually to a Wikipedia page of some kind, and you search through the Wikipedia page and you find the answer. And one of you leaves that conversation feeling justified. Well, that's not exactly what Paul means here by justified. What he is speaking of here is in relation to what he says there in verse 1 of what we have because of this justification. Notice what he says there uh, after he speaks of justified by faith. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the purpose of that justification, is that we have peace with God. Now again, we need to define our terms. What do we mean by peace? Now, Primarily, what's meant here is not the emotion. Right? We usually use that word in that way, you know, that we have a peaceful, easy feeling. You know, we, we, we feel uh, kind of light and airy when we feel peaceful. Now, there's a sense in which that's true here, but uh, Paul is meaning something more direct by that. In a way uh, that we usually use that word when we talk about the cessation of hostilities between warring nations. One of the great uh, days uh, in the history of man was the the peace of Westphalia uh, when uh, the wars of religion were ended in Europe. 
Now, when we think of the peace of Westphalia, we think of the fact that the English and the French and the Germans and the Italians and the Spanish and the Dutch uh, stopped murdering and killing one another. And that's what's meant here by the word peace, that there has been an ending to the warfare between God and His people. Now, what kind of warfare are we talking about? Well, remember, when we think about sin, you know, the primary thing we need to think about is not the breaking of God's law, but of the rebellion that is ongoing in the heart of man. Most assuredly, we see in the Scriptures this context when it comes to the relations between God, our Heavenly Father, and uh, the humanity which has fallen from glory. It's one of the reasons why we see that word in Genesis chapter 3 that's used in the King James, enmity. Now, again, it's one of those words that we don't usually use a lot. uh, But if you have enmity against someone, that's not a positive thing. Right? We don't don't joyously say, I have enmity against my neighbor. That's not something we want to have with someone who lives next door. You know, enmity is a word described a hatred between two parties. And one of the things we consider when we think of uh, the enmity that exists between God and man, you know, what is it about man that he hates about God? You know, think back to the first sin itself. You know, Eve's sin and Adam's sin, by which we have fallen into our our our, our fallen nature was all because Eve distrusted the sovereignty of God, distrusted the promise of God, and decided that she knew better than he. And Adam likewise, uh, being uh, the covenant head, listened unto uh, the witness of his wife and the witness of Satan, agreed with them, and chose to eat of the fruit from which they were told that they were not allowed to eat. And so it says there in Genesis 3 that there became enmity between these two parties. And likewise, we hear another use of the word enmity there. We also hear there uh, that because of the promised seed that will come from the woman, That there will be enmity between the seed and the woman. And that's really one of the things that Paul's getting to here when he talks about the peace that exists now because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What has taken place in our justification? What has taken place in this powerful act of our Savior? And what has happened is that we have been changed from those who are against God to those who are for God. We have been translated from those who are actively involved with Satan himself attempting to bring down the kingdom of heaven to those who are now members of the kingdom of heaven who have been given the weapons of the Spirit to do not only attack, but destroy the works of darkness. And this is again why Paul here speaks in chapter 5 of this peace that we have with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this peace that we have, again, is not just that cessation of hostilities, but it's also that sure knowledge that we have that we belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are no longer of our Father the devil, but we are now of our Father who art in heaven. And that's why Paul here will go in in these latter verses by saying, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, think again of uh, of this justification, of this being declared righteous by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's worthwhile to take a step back and again define our terms. What do we mean by grace? Grace is one of those words that we use a lot. Grace is a popular word to use. And usually we, we mean that we've forgiven something. Right? If the bank shows you grace, what are they doing? They're forgiving payments of some kind. But is that how grace is used in the Scriptures? No, grace is used as unmerited favor. And that's the way it's described for us in the Old Testament. Again, God had, that, uh, had grace on Noah. It tells us there in Genesis chapter 6. And, and, and what does that mean? You know, it, it, had Noah done something to earn the right to build the ark? No, it tells us there uh, that God found grace in Noah. You know, not that he rooted around and picked up his spleen and found it somewhere down in the depths of his bowels. Now, what it means there is the same thing that it means here for us. That just as we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and declared righteous in the eyes of God have no longer uh, been found enemies of uh, the King of Heaven, but have now been found sons and daughters of that same King. So to Noah, through uh, the divine act, has been declared righteous and found with grace in his heart. And has been given this awesome responsibility to then go and build uh, that ark, which would save his family uh, from physical death. And continue on the promised line of the seed uh, to come. So this grace that is mentioned here in Romans chapter 5, again, is, is speaking of the standing that we have in the eyes of the Father. That each and every one of us stand upright, stand strong, because of the unmerited favor of God upon our hearts and upon our souls. And we see in, in what Paul is, is driving home here uh, that the access that we have uh, to this grace is by faith alone. Now once more, again, defining terms. Faith. Now where does it come from? What does it mean? How do we get this faith? Again, the Scriptures tell us that faith itself is what? Faith is a gift of God. One of the most important things uh, that we can understand in the Christian life is that our salvation, our redemption, is wholly by the hand of God. It's wholly by the hand of the God who created the heavens and the earth that any of us stand with access by faith into this grace. 
Again, that's, that's not something, of course, unique to the New Testament. And the, the, we hear this morning in 1 Samuel uh, the words of David there. Again, being reminding, reminding Saul in the midst of their conversation that he stands where he is because of the Lord's work. Because God had revealed unto him how it is that he should behave towards the Lord's anointed. Likewise, we hear in the Psalms, for the can- and my soul shall rejoice in the Lord and shall exalt in His salvation. See, David there in Psalm 39, again, is testifying to where he is and how it is that he got there. That it wasn't by his good looks and his abilities with a sling that he now stands in the favor of the Lord. But it's because of the favor of the Lord that He was chosen to be the Lord's anointed, that He was given the opportunity by God's grace to slay Goliath. And David repeats this theme over and over again in the Psalms as he uh, speaks to and rejoices to the nature of God's blessing unto him. Even when David is struggling in his life, even uh, when he is doubting in his flesh, uh, the goodness of God. How does he always end his psalms? You know, Psalm 13 is a perfect example of this. And he begins that psalm by wondering whether God is even hearing his prayers. Wondering whether God has, has seen his affliction. But David in that psalm walks his way through the providence of God, walks his way through what God has done for his forefathers, what God has done for him in his life. And at the end of Psalm 13, we hear once more the beautiful words of Holy Scripture, which tell us that salvation belongs unto the Lord. And Paul here in Romans 5 is, is saying the exact same thing, that we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, we, we think of our catechism. You know, How does our shorter catechism begin? You know, with that, that wonderful question, What is the chief end? What's the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Again, we we think about that, 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 that God has created us to rejoice in Him. That God has created us to glorify Him. And that we have been made new creatures in Christ for that same purpose. And we hear, for example, there in John 3.16, those wonderful words that we know by heart uh, that we can re- repeat in our sleep. Again, how do those words begin? And that verse begins by saying, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Again, where's the focus of those words of salvation? Are they on the response that we give Are they on uh, the work that we do? No, they begin by reminding us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And what does John tell us in in his first epistle? How do we come to love God? Because God first loved us. 
Again, when did God come to love us? Did He come to love us after we have come to faith? Did He come to love us at some arbitrary point in history when we hear the Gospel proclaimed? Now the Scriptures tell us that God loved us from before the foundation of the world. That God loved us enough to declare us to be righteous in His sight through the shed blood of His own Son. Again, the love of God that is poured out upon sinners is is almost incomprehensible when we consider the justice of God. Again, that's why when we think of justification, we usually do so in the the context, in the kind of the word picture of a law court. That God has us dead to rights. We are guilty as any who has ever been tried. And not only does God have eyewitness testimony, He has the smoking gun, as it were. He has everything that He needs to convict us and to send us into eternal uh, perdition and to hell itself. That's why when we think of our justification, we think of that work of being declared righteous, we think of the work of the Lord Jesus in the midst of that. Again, it's not as if the the justice of the Father is interrupted by the Son. As if Jesus is some kind of superhero coming in at the last moments, you know, kind of jumping in front of the bullet of of, of the wrath due unto us. And that's not how God works. That's not how salvation works. That's how any of this works. Again, we who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb have been saved because God loves us. Us. And God, from the foundation of the world, uh, through the divine uh, decree, has declared uh, that He would send His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, shall have eternal life. Earlier on here in the book of Romans, uh, Paul will say, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, that that language is important, right? That the redemption is in Christ Jesus. And what is in Christ Jesus uh, that redeems us? We we, talked before that the work of the gospel is not just the forgiving of sins. Again, the gospel is a twofold action. That we, having been washed by the blood of the Lamb, are also declared righteous in His sight. That we receive the righteousness of Christ. That we who are by nature sinners have been now been made not to be sinners. Again, John in his first epistle will talk about again this new nature that we have. It's one of the things that we believe that we were born and conceived in sin. When David says that, again, he's not talking about his parentage. He's not saying he was an illegitimate child. He's saying that he inherited and had the, and had the sin of Adam imputed to him in the, in the moment of his conception. That he was born a sinner. Again, any of you who have ever been around small children can testify that you don't have to teach children how to be bad. We we, we don't uh, take our children to classes to teach them how uh, to be rude to their sister. We don't take our children to classes to learn how to take cookies out of the tallest uh, place in the kitchen. 
Right? We have to take our children to classes to teach them not to be mean to their brother. And not to do these things. Again, this is, this is one of these common sense aspects of sin that our culture spends so much time denying. But the reality is that we who are dead in sin have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is a necessary part of that being renewed in Him. If, if salvation just consisted in the washing of the blood, what would happen very soon after we were washed? What, is, what does Peter say in 2 Peter about those who are, who are false testifiers? What do they do the second that it, ne- it becomes advantageous to not be a believer? They return back unto the mire. You know, he uses the illustration of a pig being washed, returning back unto the mud, and a dog returning to its vomit. You know, and again, we, we, we hear those things and they, 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 they rightly make us take a, a back to these things. But that's why when we talk about justification, we talk about, again, this gift of righteousness that has been given to us. We are no longer the old man, but we are the new man. That original sin that we talk about has been taken away from us. And we are new creatures in Christ. Again, our catechism, question 33, uh, declares this in what it tells us about justification. In question 33, the Shorter Catechism says, Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardoneth all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. You see that, that work that is being done for us, our being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Know that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, one of the ways we usually describe uh, our Savior is through the name uh, that He was given uh, by His mother and earthly father. You know, in Matthew chapter 1, as Joseph and Mary are being visited by the angel, one of the things that they are told to do is to name Him Jesus. Now, you know, again, defining terms, it's important to understand what that name means. First of all, you know, the name Jesus is kind of a Latinized version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which we know as Joshua. You know, there was nothing unique about Jesus' name in that sense. He had kind of a normal Hebrew name. Of course, it's fitting, right, that Jesus should have a normal name because Jesus was an ordinary human in that sense. And Jesus was not born in uh, the capital. He wasn't born in the house of a priest. He wasn't born in the house of a king. But He was born in a manger. The son of a carpenter. The son of Mary. And so He had this name which was not unique amongst the people of Israel. But when we understand again what Joshua means, again, it testifies to us of the work uh, that He was about. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And why she will call his name Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. And again, Joshua in the Hebrew means to deliver or to rescue. Of course, that's what we testify about our Redeemer. That He has rescued us uh, from the pit of hell. He has rescued us uh, from the wrath of God. He has rescued us uh, uh, from uh, the death that was due unto us through the sacrifice of His own body and blood. Again, we think of this work that God has done. Again, we hear from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 25, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. In the rejoicing of our hearts, the peace, the comfort, uh, the glory uh, that has been given to us in our Son, uh, that was awaited by the prophets of old, has come and has been accomplished and has been established in the work of Jesus. And so those of us who sit on this side of the cross, as we look back and as we see these things, and as we are reminded that we have been justified by faith, that we have peace with God, that we have access by faith, that we stand in His grace, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, what does Paul here say about that hope? Now hope does not disappoint Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Again, sometimes you'll hear people uh, conflate uh, faith and science. That science is this uh, unassailable thing that we know certain things are true because of science. And of course, any common sense scientist will tell you that's not really the case. But you hear people talk about science in that way. And then they'll talk about faith as if it's blind. You know, faith is that, that, that grasping in the darkness. You know, it's, it's kind of a blind hope in that sense. You know, faith is, is the word we use to describe those things we can't understand. You know, you'll hear people you know, use faith in that way. Well, I, I, you know, I have faith that will turn out this way. But of course, that's not how the Bible defines faith. That's not how the Bible defines hope. Again, what does Paul say about hope here? That hope does not disappoint. Because hope is a sure understanding, a sure testimony, a sure measure uh, that we have been bought with a price and that we belong to the Lord our God. And the promise here again is that we do so because of the love of God. Again, the love that God has showered upon His saints uh, through the gift of His only begotten Son. Again, is the surety of our salvation. You know, think about where you would be right now if your salvation uh, depended upon your works, depended upon your faith, depended on your hope and understanding. You know, I, I, I you speak for myself in this. You know, I would be a lost man. If it was up to me to remain faithful to the Lord. 
I would be a, a poor beggar if it was not the Lord who had sustained me. The Lord who had called me out of darkness and unto the light of the Gospel truth. Again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we each can confess this. And that we are but weak vessels. And we are but made of clay. But we hear in these words of the Apostle Paul that because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Remember again, this Holy Spirit has been given to us by the Lord of glory. In John 16, verse 22, it says, Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Again, is this the testimony that we have this day? Do we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we believe that we have been justified by faith alone? Do we believe that we have been made righteous by the inward work of the Holy Spirit? Does our faith rest on the ever-shifting sands of the culture of the world, of our own abilities, of our own works, of our own place in our misguided understandings? Or does our faith rest upon that house built upon the rock? Does our faith rest upon the God who has given to us that gift? Brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this morning, as we think upon the great gift that we have been given through Jesus Christ. Let us remember these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In Christ, our Redeemer, our Sustainer, the Author and the Finisher of our faith, has called out unto us, has given to us this faith and this understanding and this grace and this perfection, which is a gift from above. Let us rest and let us trust in Him. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,